Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. All right. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Good. Well, I'm uh, Grant. If you're new here, I'm the pastor of Nashville Vineyard. We're really excited you guys are joining us today. And uh, there is no doubt an abundance of really good churches in Nashville. And so we don't take it lightly that you've decided to uh, trust us with uh, your Sunday morning. So thank you so much uh, for being here. I'm also trying out a mic. How's this working? Is it okay? All right. Good. Good. We were on vacation uh, last week, and so um, uh, we missed you guys, but I know that uh, Ray uh, spoke and did an incredible job, Ray Hollenbach. If you weren't here, uh, we have a podcast. Go listen to his message. It was incredible. Uh, He is just such a gift to our church, so um, you guys were in good hands. We didn't didn't leave you uh, all alone. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun to go on vacation, uh, to be honest with you. We, uh, we left, and I don't know if you have this happen, but when we were leaving for vacation, I was already on the verge of fat. You know, I was like on that, I was on that fat verge, and I, um, I went full on on vacation, and it was okay, like I was all right with it. Um, and then I realized that Sarah had inadvertently washed my jeans. And uh, so I, I got ready this morning and was like, there's no way that, that I can make it to church. So I spent some time you know, doing some yoga, trying to get into the jeans. So if I look uncomfortable up here, it's true. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. Uh, so you need to hold me accountable. Okay? Ask me, hey, are you on your diet? You should go back on your diet. It's okay. I need that. I need that help. But it was fun. It's a lot of fun to go on vacation. It's so much more fun to be here, though, honestly. Um, a vacation with little kids is not a vacation. It's work uh, at somewhere else. So you're, you're in a foreign place and having to do twice as much work because all of their toys aren't there. So it's good to be back. We're excited. Um, we, we're been, we, we started a series a couple weeks ago. Uh, on the idea that, uh, that we are all leaders and that the Lord has called us as followers of Jesus to lead others in that lifestyle as well. Uh, and so we've, we've, we've begun a process of walking through the idea that as leaders, we owe it to ourselves, we owe it to the world, we owe it to our neighbors to spend time caring for our souls, that our souls are, are in desperate need of cultivating, of health. And if we're not careful, we can neglect our souls. And so we, we began a series a couple weeks ago on the idea that as leaders, how can we, how can we learn to care for our souls? How can we learn uh, to cultivate health and lead and live and thrive from a place of health? I think it's no doubt that the world is in desperate need of healthy leaders, uh, of people that are called to lead uh, from a place of of rest and health and peace. And so we're going to be diving into that. We're using a couple of resources. We're, we're using the life of Moses through Exodus and uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy. We're, we're piecing together different parts of Moses' journey into leadership. And we're using that as our guide biblically. And we're also using an incredible book 
that, that we're going through as, as a guide for this. A lot of this material, a lot of material that Ray talked about last week, it was from this book. Uh, this book is one of those things that it took me you know, a long time to get through it because it just, it did a work in me. And so we're going through it. I highly encourage you to buy it. It is, um, I got to remember the name, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership uh, by Ruth Haley Barton. Um, you know, buy it on Amazon, uh, buy it as much as you can, give it to friends. If you can't afford it, send us an email, info at nationalvenue.org. We'll, we'll buy it for you. It's, it's such a great resource. So we're using that as well. And we're using the life of Moses in this book to walk through what is it like to cultivate a healthy soul? How do we live from a place of health, lead from a place of health? And so we're going to pick back up today uh, with that as well. So uh, let's pray real quick. Lord, we thank you so much that, um, man, that you're here, that you're walking with us, that you know us, that regardless of what is going on outside, we know you're good. And whatever is, is wrong with our world, whatever problems we're facing, we, we, can, we can rest in the idea that you're good. And your goodness is easy. And life is complicated. But we hold on to your goodness, Father. Would you show us where you are in our lives? Show us where you are in the circumstances that are, are rising up within us. Would you walk with us? Would you help us to cultivate a healthy soul? Would you open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive? Would you make it easy for me to preach? And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we're, we're going to be starting in Exodus chapter 2, uh, verse 11 through 12 and 15. And it says that one day he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinsfolk. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And skip down a little bit. It says, Moses fled from Pharaoh. He settled in the land of Midian, and then he sat down by a well. There's no doubt that Moses was a born leader. He was groomed, he was raised in, in the palace of Pharaoh to be royalty, to lead. And because of that, he was, he was equipped and given tools, and he was, uh, he was given all of the things necessary to, to be a leader of significance. But even though that's true, and even though we know that his story ended fairly well, he went through a very dramatic and traumatic experience in his early years. I mean, Moses, if you're not familiar with the story, uh, the Hebrews had, had been uh, occupying Egypt, and they had come over with Joseph. And if you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph was, uh, was the second in command uh, in Egypt. He was a Hebrew, and he single-handedly, through the help of the Lord, saved an entire people group, or two. And he became uh, very prominent in Egypt. And over the years, the Hebrews began to populate Egypt and move in and, and, and become very numerous. And, and Pharaoh was probably rightly worried that the Hebrews are going to outnumber the Egyptians. And if we don't do something, uh, we could lose this place. We could lose our grip on control. And so the Hebrews were, were uh, in slavery to the Egyptians, and, and the Egyptians made it a decree. And they said every, every boy uh, who is born under two years to the Hebrews should be thrown in the Nile and killed. The Nile had crocodiles and all of those sort of things. And so Moses was, was born a Hebrew boy. 
And he was born under this edict of violence, of murder. And his mother decided that, that she couldn't do it. And so she hid him. She hid him for something like three to eight months until she just couldn't hide him any longer. It became very obvious that, that she had a baby and the baby was a boy. And so she decided to, to do what she only knew she could do. And she put Moses in a basket and she, she walked down to the river where Pharaoh's um, uh, princesses and all of the royalty, they would go down to this part of the Nile and they would bathe and, and relax. And so she went to that part of the river. She put the baby Moses in a basket and floated Moses up to, uh, to the princess. And Moses' older sister ran along to make sure he was okay. And the princess got uh, the basket, opened it up, realized it was a Hebrew boy. It says the boy was crying and, and she felt sorry for him, took pity on him and, and brought him in. And, and then Moses' sister said, hey, if you need someone to nurse him, I can find a Hebrew woman to help nurse the baby uh, as, you know, as, as he needs. And so she says, great, I'll pay for it. And so she ends up getting Moses' mom and brings her to him and and so Moses goes back into the house with uh, his family uh, for a few years and is raised in a Hebrew family and, and all of that. And then once he's weaned off of, of nursing and, and is able to, to be uh, more uh, capable on his own, he has to go back and leave his parents and go into the house of Pharaoh. And there he was raised. I mean, he was raised as one of their own as much as can be. And it was known that he wasn't one of them. He, he knew that growing up. He had recognition of that. And so he grew up in this, in this very strange environment where he was never quite fitting in. He, he never knew his place. He would never be uh, moved into the role that his brothers and sisters were because it was known that he wasn't full Egyptian. And, and he, he didn't necessarily want to go back to his people because the slavery was getting worse. And and violence was starting to take place. And he was, he was a man with no home. And he never, he never found a place to fit in. And I believe he was also called by the Lord. And, and he knew right and wrong. And he could sense what was going on. And so you can imagine Moses in a place of turmoil. In a place of, of broken identity. Because he has been torn away from everything that he knows. And even the things that he knows, it's just... It doesn't seem right. Until one day, we know the story, he, he comes upon a Hebrew that's getting beaten by an Egyptian. And he interferes. And out of his anger, he kills the Egyptian. And then he hides the Egyptian in the sand. The next day, he, he's, he's walking around amongst his people, the Hebrews. And they're fighting, and, and they're fighting amongst themselves, and he tries to intervene again because he's a leader, and that's what leaders do. And when he intervenes again, they, they say, what are you going to kill us to? Just like you killed the Egyptian yesterday. And he realizes that he's been found out, that, that it's no longer a secret. And he does the only thing he knows to do. He runs. And he leaves everything he's ever known behind, and he goes to the wilderness. And he's there for 40 years. And we can understand that Moses, with, with the way that he was brought up, there's no doubt that he had developed different techniques of surviving. Because life is a survival. And we develop our own techniques to survive. Different coping mechanisms, different patterns, 
different, different ways that we relate to the world in order to ensure that we're safe. And I'm sure one of those that he had to wrestle with and, and learn how to deal with was his anger when he would see things. When he would feel this loneliness as a, as a child, as a boy, when he would feel out of place, when he would feel his identity was slipping away from him, I'm sure that he would feel a sense of anger and rage, but he couldn't express it. Not in the palace. No one would understand. And we see that this anger got the best of him. And it, and it boiled to the surface, and, and he lashed out. And the anger, the anger overcame him. And he was a murderer. So what are we, what are we talking about? I think, I think we're all like Moses. I think that we develop coping mechanisms. We develop patterns in our life, behaviors in our life that has helped us to survive. And, and what we do typically is that we, we, we're very reactive people. We're busy people. We're distracted people. Our attention is divided. And we don't realize the things that are going on underneath the surface. The different, the different patterns that we've developed early on in our, in our youth that has helped us maybe for a certain time, but it's no longer necessary. Now we still hold on to those patterns because at one time it worked. And being people of, of, a, of reactive nature, we tend to, to react out of those habits and patterns and thoughts. And what, what happens is if we're not careful... Those things will brood and, and, and breed underneath the surface of who we are. And when we're alone, when we're weak, when we're tired, when we're weary, when we're hungry, when our defenses are down, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, when our typical Christian defenses, our Christianese vocabulary has left us, we will find ourselves succumb to maybe the same patterns that we've dealt with our entire life. And we struggle with that. And like Moses, they'll get the best of us. And we'll lash out. We'll fall back into those patterns. And then shame and grief will move in. And then the Lord will beckon us into the desert. You see, Moses was being led into the wilderness, into the desert, into a place of solitude. For 40 years, it was him, and it was just him, and it was him and the Lord. It's in a place of solitude that I believe the Lord is wanting to lead us into. It's the first step of learning to care for your soul, is quieting the voices, quieting the distractions, quieting all the busyness and the hurry that permeates our life. And being quiet before the Lord. If, if I could make you do anything, like if there was a special button that as a pastor that I could press that would make this church do anything, it would be to get quiet before the Lord. To still yourself. When is the last time that we've, we've been still and we've known that he is God? As the psalmist says, when's the last time that we knew that he is God over the good things and the bad things? We knew that he is God regardless of how we're feeling about it. 
and we put our knowledge and our rest in that. See, our emotions, they're, they're very good servants. They're not good masters. And our patterns of behavior, our thoughts, fuel our emotions, and we become a people that's fueled by our emotions. We serve our emotions. And we'll continue to do that until we get quiet, until we get still, until we see that there are things in our life that are motivating us, they're propelling us to do certain things. There's different dynamics at play. Maybe not even on the front level of our consciousness, maybe deep embedded inside of us as a, as a survival mechanism that we, we, we developed long ago. And we wonder why do we struggle with this over and over and over again? What is it inside of me? Well, we know that it's sin. We're born into sin. We're born into a sinful world. We, we weren't always followers of Jesus, if you are today. We haven't always been doing this. And because of that, we've been in the world. And we've developed the world's thought patterns. The kingdom is different. And we be, when we become citizens of the new kingdom... We have to understand that, that there's a different set of rules at play. We have to begin to unlearn the thought patterns and, and the different dynamics that were at play in our lives previously before submitting our knee to Christ. Paul calls this renewing our mind. We've talked about this before, but it's a process of unlearning our old ways and, and learning the ways of the kingdom. Thinking differently about who we were and, and how we've gotten here and begin to think with new eyes and new minds. Begin to think with the mind of Christ. It's, it's available. But you have, to, you have to rethink, right? You have to reorient. Another word for that is repent. And I'm afraid that we've sold ourselves short on the definition of repentance. And we've made it this idea of a forgiveness of sins, and it is that, but it's so much more. It's a, it's a much more full word. Repentance, people have said, should be the whole of our Christian life because our whole Christian life should be the idea of unlearning the old ways and relearning and learning for the first time the ways of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus did when he was here. He would tell us over and over again, you've heard this, but I say this. The kingdom of God is like this. He spent a lot of time telling us about this is different. Things are different now. You're going to be different. You need to think different. And the reality is, is that if you bow your knee to Jesus, if you decide to follow him, if you've counted the cost and say, I'm in. I don't know what it means, but I'm in. I give you my life. I want to follow you. At that point, you became a new creation. That's what the Bible says. And when you become a new creation, you have to start acting like it. But too often, we become a new creation, and we think that that means that we're supposed to try and read the Bible and go to church and not sin as much. And then we wonder why it hasn't took. And then typically what happens is when we're down the line a little bit, and we face trauma that brings back the survival mechanisms and techniques that have served us well up until that point and we react out of that old man again and we think to ourselves 
I guess this didn't work after all. Or, I'm too terrible for even the blood of Jesus to fix. And we wonder, why are we stuck in this existence? Why are we on the merry-go-round of sin over and over again? The key to this is to begin to unlearn patterns, unlearn thoughts, unlearn survival techniques, and begin to learn the ways of the kingdom. And the first part of that is to be quiet, to still yourself. You see, the world is so full of things. Our schedules are so full of things. We've never been busier as a, as a race. We've never had less amount of time in our lives. We can multitask and we can never turn off. Where I was reading an article the other day that even our sleep patterns have changed from, from the historic sleep patterns. Like for, for thousands of years, we've only recently changed our sleep patterns in order to try and get more accomplished. And because of that, we're never able to be quiet without a buzz in our pocket, without, without a distraction, without a thing to do. We're never able to just get alone. And when we can't get alone with God, we'll never really understand what's going on right below the surface. And when we're, when we're approached by something, we'll react out of the old way. Just like Moses, we have to be led into a place of solitude into a wilderness. And we don't want to do that. I mean, that's something that, honestly, it's scary to us because we know that there are things inside of us, like dark places inside of us, that scare us. We know that there are things about us that we're going to have to change, and we don't think we can do that. And we know that if we're really quiet, if we're really still, we may hear something that we don't want to hear. We may be reminded of something that we've tried for a long time to repress and suppress. But see, the Lord is so good and He's so gracious. He wants to begin to heal those places, to bring restoration to those places, to bring fullness to those places. But He can't do it if you don't let Him into those places. When you bow your knee to the Lord, you, you give every part of you, even the hidden parts even the parts that you're white-knuckling to survive, even the relationships. And what he wants to do is he wants to begin to show you and teach you, hey, have you ever thought why you keep struggling with this? And he wants to put his finger on those places, not so he can bring condemnation, but so that he can bring restoration, so that he can bring wholeness. What if there's a freedom that's available to us that we can't even imagine? What if there is, is a depth of love that, that we can access that we don't even know is there? I think there is. And for some of us, we're so worried and scared about being alone, about being quiet, about being uh, removed from a place that we do whatever we can do to avoid it. And so sometimes it takes a moment like Moses. Of, he, he didn't go into the wilderness for the right reasons. He fled because he was worried that he was going to get found out to be a fraud. 
And so sometimes it can be a fear that drives us into solitude with the Lord that I need to retreat back and figure out what in the world is going on. Why are these things still here? Your motives don't really matter. He's calling you there to be quiet, to be still, to allow him to search your heart, to know you, you and the scriptures and the spirit. See, he put his spirit inside of you. God's spirit lives inside of you. And we want to do everything we can do to listen to what the spirit has to say. Right? Kind of. Sometimes we're scared of it. Sometimes we're so desperate to hear it that we'll we'll do anything to hear it except be quiet. And we'll fill our minds with all kinds of good things, but it's not necessarily what the doctor ordered. Only recently, I've been on this journey over the last year of understanding the importance of being quiet before the Lord. Up until then, I would, I would fill my head with, with all kinds of sermons and podcasts and, and books and, and everything that I could possibly cram in until someone that was much wiser than me just offhandedly mentioned the benefit of being quiet. And I, honestly, it was super awkward. Because, you know, we can, we can pray, and really we're not doing any good. We're just talking. And so sometimes we need to shut up. Quit talking so much. And to just sit there, In quiet, that can be a scary thing. And I, I remember the first time I did it. So typically what my routine is, I really love routines. I'm a spontaneous person, but if I don't have a routine, then I just feel so weird. And so I try and have a routine where I get up in the morning, and this I've been doing this since we've had our first, uh, our first son, Jackson, who's now seven. So I've been doing this seven years. I took the early shift. Uh, when he would wake up when he was first born. I took the 5 a.m. to 6.30 shift. Sarah got to sleep during that time. I would take him, and then I would get ready and go to work. And so since then, I've just had this habit of getting up early. So I get up early every day. And, and usually what I try to do is I try to have you know, a time where I'm reading the Word, and, and you know, I usually get distracted, and I'll, I'll check Facebook during the reading the Word and our emails and all of that sort of stuff, and then I'll get my coffee. and it's, So it's the whole thing. And so for the first time, I decided, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this being quiet thing. I'm going to do it just five minutes, right? I couldn't do it for five minutes. I literally couldn't do it. I couldn't quiet myself enough. I couldn't sit there for five minutes. I became antsy and nervous. I needed something to do with my hands. I needed something to say. I needed something, something. And, and it, was a, it was a process of work, of, of unlearning my typical habits and patterns. And learning to just be quiet before the Lord. Not with a request, not with a thanksgiving, not with whatever else I thought I was supposed to do, but just to be quiet. And he's really gracious, the Lord is. You know that? 
And the Holy Spirit is a genius, and he knows you better than you do. And so he's working this whole time. So he goes easy on me. And, and over the next few weeks, I, I actually make it to the five minute. I set an alarm. You know, when you set an alarm on your phone and it takes a lot longer than you think, you're like, should I check the phone? But that kind of, that, that goes against what you're trying to do in the first place. But you'll check the phone. Because maybe the alarm didn't set. Like, that's ever happened. Where you've got to think, surely it's been five minutes. And it's like, you know, 45 seconds. And so, eventually I made it to five minutes. And I'll be honest with you, it was insane. Like, it was amazing. I felt refreshed. I felt connected to the Lord. I felt this, this just... It was good. And then what I noticed is, is that everything in the whole world fights against that. So once I discovered the benefit of it, it became that much harder to do. And so until I actually began to value it almost more than anything else, and I would fight for it. And fight for a time not to necessarily study, not to do anything, but just to sit and be quiet. And sometimes I say, you know, how am I doing? How am I doing, Lord? And you know what? He, he'll let me know how I'm doing. Now, sometimes you can sit there and say, Lord, what do you th- say to me? What do you think about me? He gave us a pretty good book that explains a lot of that. This is a time that you can just sit and be with him. It's not necessarily a time that, that he unfolds all kinds of mysteries to you. It's a time that you guys just hang out. And so now what I do, because there's something about engaging the physical with the spiritual, I usually take a walk without earbuds. What? Right. <laughs> and it's really awkward to walk around your neighborhood without earbuds and without like burying your head into something or walk. I, w- I almost want to get a dog so I don't look so weird. <laughs> I just, this weird guy just walking. And I started out, I put like workout gear on, and then I was like, boy, this looks really lame. Like, you know, I'm dressed up in this workout gear, just taking a stroll, so I quit doing that. And I'll just walk. I'll never forget the first time that I was sitting with Jesus, and it accidentally lasted an hour. Isn't that crazy? And it was amazing, because I was just quiet. And there's been times in my quietness that the Lord has said, hey, can I talk to you about this? Have you ever wondered why you react this way? I want to heal this part of you. I want to bring wholeness to this part of you. And if I hadn't been quiet, this could have continued to go on for many years. And it's a new thing each time. It's a new level of brokenness I get to discover. And I've become pretty used to it, and, and I've invited the idea that I actually can, can, can continue to grow and become better and enjoy life. And he says that he wants us to have life to the full, overflowing, to the fullness. He wants that for you now, not when you go to heaven, but now. And so those places of brokenness, he's longing to mend, to fix to restore, because he knows the joy that was set before him was your joy. And he wants you to experience a fullness and a wholeness 
that you probably don't even believe is possible. And what happens is, is that we, because we want that, we'll numb those areas that we know with all kinds of stuff, right? We know the drill on that. Alcohol, food, drugs, relationships, whatever. And he wants to strip those away and he wants to lead you into a place of solitude, into the desert. It's important. And what we want to do here as a church, like, like more than anything else, is what if we could produce an army of healthy, whole leaders that, that could step out into society, step out into your relationships from a place of health and wholeness. Which means we're not looking for fulfillment. We're not looking for the things that typically trap us when we interact with other people. And our relationships can take on a, a look of almost like Christ's relationship with us. Where we don't need anything from anybody else. Because we've found that he has the living waters. It's interesting that Moses sat down by a well, right? Jesus sat down by a well. And, and he encountered this, this woman at the well and he, he began to speak to her and point out to her that there are things in your life that you're, you're filling the void and, and you're, she would try to mask it with religion and she would try to mask it with whatever. And at the end of the day, he stripped it and it was just him and her by a well. And that's when the whole universe was revealed to the idea that he is the living water. It was the first time he ever mentioned that. And he wants to take you to that place. He wants to take you to the place by the well where it's quiet and it's just you and him. I promise it's worth it. See, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you, you don't necessarily need anything else. He's the counselor. He's the teacher. He's the helper. He guides you into all truth. And, and if you'll just be quiet enough to hear his voice, he can take care of a lot of stuff. And usually when people come to you as a pastor, they want like you to fix them. And my answer most often, and some of you can attest to this, is can you just, when's the last time you were quiet? I promise if you just spend 10 minutes a day quiet, this will get taken care of. Because I trust the Holy Spirit inside of you. So it's only, it's only this way. See, it happened with Moses. He was in the, in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years. It happened with Jesus, you know, before he went into his ministry. He was in the desert, into solitude for 40 days. And, and he was tested. But you know what also happened? He was ministered to. Like God ministered to Jesus in the wilderness in order that he could then go and begin his ministry. It happened to Paul. You know, Paul had this giant Damascus conversion experience that was just really cool. Like, he tries to go ahead and start the ministry, just like Moses tried to go ahead and step into leadership. And, and the apostles were like, dude, we're good. We've got enough. Thank you. And Paul goes into obscurity. He goes into a solitude for over a decade. And he learns how to make tents because he had nothing else to do. So he sits down and he makes tents in the desert until the Lord decided he was ready. 
because he had dealt with all of the things that he had to unlearn. As a Pharisee of Pharisees, he had a lot of unlearning to do. But I'll be honest with you, it won't take you that long. Because we're in Christ, and Christ is in us, and he wants to do this more than you want to do it. And so it's going to be a quick journey that's going to last your whole life. Because there's going to be other things that he wants to talk to you about. But you have to start. You can start today. Find a rhythm. Find time. Guard the time. See, being in the wilderness, being in a place of solitude, it was the only way that Paul could actually write to us in Romans. And he, he, he pins this amazing thing. We're going to read it. It's going to be on the screen. It's a lot of scripture, but it, it perfectly illustrates everything that we've been talking about today. Because as we learn that there are things that are propelling us underneath the surface, and why are we doing this? We don't want to do this. We want to do this. We understand that there is a different dynamic at play, and the Lord is able to move in and put his finger on that. And so if we can turn to Romans chapter 17, we're going to read through from verse 15 into chapter 8. It's on the screen too. Paul says this, I don't understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I do not do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. When I do the thing I do not want to do, it shows me that the law is right and good. So I am not doing it. Sin living in me is doing it. I know there is nothing good in me that is in my flesh. For I want to do good, but I do not. I do not do the good I want to do. Instead, I am always doing the sinful things I do not want to do. If I am always doing the very thing I do not want to do, it means I am no longer the one who does it. It is sin that lives within me. This has become my way of life. When I want to do what is right, I always do what is wrong. My mind and heart agree with the law of God, but there is a different law at work deep inside of me that fights with my mind. This law of sin holds me in its power because sin is still in me. There is no happiness in me. Who can set me free from my sinful old self? Now, because of this, those who belong to Christ will not suffer the punishment of sin. The power of the Holy Spirit has made me free from the power of sin and death. This power is mine because I belong to Christ Jesus. The law could not make me free from the power of sin and death. It was weak because it had to work with weak human beings. But God sent his own son. He came to earth in a body of flesh which could be tempted to sin as we in our bodies can. He gave himself to take away sin. By doing that, he took away the power sin had over us. In that way, Jesus did for us what the law said had to be done. We do not do what our sinful old selves tell us to do anymore. Now we do what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. Those who let their sinful old selves tell them what to do live under the power of that sinful old self. Those who let the Holy Spirit tell them what to do are under his power. If your sinful old self is the boss over your mind, it leads to death. But if the Holy Spirit is the boss over your mind, it leads to life and to peace. The mind that thinks only of ways to please the sinful old self is fighting against God. It is not able to obey God's law. It never can. Those who do what their sinful old selves want to do cannot please God. But you are not doing what your sinful old selves want you to do. You are doing what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. If you have God's Spirit living in you, no one belongs to Christ if he does not have Christ's Spirit in him. If Christ is in you, your spirit lives because you are right with God. And yet your body is dead because of sin. 
the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. If the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in you, he will give life to your bodies in the same way. So then, Christian brothers, if we are not to do what our sinful old selves want us to do, if you do what your sinful old self want you to do, you will die in sin. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you destroy those actions to which the body can be led, you will have life. All those who are led by the Holy Spirit are sons of God. You should not act like people who are owned by someone. They are always afraid. Instead, the Holy Spirit makes us his sons, and we can call him my Father. For the Holy Spirit speaks to us and tells our spirit that we are children of God. If we are children of God, we will receive everything he has promised us. We will share with Christ all the things that God has given to him. But we must share his suffering if we are to share his shining greatness. God is beckoning you to come into a place of quietness, a place of stillness, a place that he can begin to minister to you just like he does to Moses, to Paul, to Jesus. He wants to minister to you so you understand that those things that you do that you don't want to do, they don't have to have control anymore. Freedom has been bought. You're free. And it's time we begin to act like it. But we have to be alone. We have to be quiet. We have to sit with Jesus. So that we can hear what he says. And we believe what he says, that we are sons and daughters. We're his sons and daughters. So as we close, we, we want to offer a time that we can, we can pray with you and for you and over you. That you would have the perseverance to sit. The perseverance to be quiet. And that you have the grace on you that when the Holy Spirit begins to bring up those things inside of you, you have the grace to face them. To stare them in the eye and realize that you're no longer a slave to that. You're no longer a slave to the fear that ruled your life. You're now free. That's what he wants to tell you over and over again. You're free. You're free. You don't have to act like that. And we can't hear him because we're not quiet. And so we still act like we're in chains. So we're going to have a time of ministry where we can begin to proclaim freedom over you. We can begin to proclaim that you are free indeed. And maybe you haven't counted the cost. Maybe you haven't submitted your need to Jesus and said, I, I want your way is more than mine because mine's not working. It's a process, you know, this salvation thing. Jesus tells us to count the cost of it because it'll cost you everything. But then you'll be free. So maybe that's you and you want to just talk about it. We would love to talk to you about that too and begin that journey with you into freedom. So regardless of what it is, we, we feel like today that the Lord wants to do a couple of things. There's a couple uh, of addictions and sin patterns that have been, uh, it's just been, it's been holding you down. And he wants to break that. And so we want to gather around you and break that in Jesus' name. There's freedom here today. 
It's for the taking. And so we'd like to invite you into an opportunity that we can pray over you for those addictions and those, those life patterns and those thoughts, addictions to relationships, addictions to whatever it is. You're just, you're feeding it. And we want to pray that you experience the freedom that's available today in Christ. Because it's here. So Holy Spirit, would you come? This is your church. We are yours. Would your freedom reign in this place? Would you begin to work on us? And would you begin to bring those things to our mind, things that you want to bring freedom to? Patterns in our life, patterns in our behavior, addictions, all of that. Would you begin to speak to us of what do you want free? What haven't we given over to you yet? What are places in our hearts that are hidden from you, that we're trying to hide? We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. We wait on you. For all upcoming events or more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.